We've got two readings this morning. Our first reading comes from the Old Testament in Job, and it's chapter 19. So far, uh, we've witnessed Job's terrible and undeserved suffering. We've considered the heartless response from his friends, and now we hear Job wrestling in anguish with his friends and God. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 19. Then Job replied, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry, violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way, so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my honour and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has alienated me from my family. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants count me a foreigner. They look on me as a stranger. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say, How we will hound him, since the root of the trouble lies in him. You should fear the sword yourselves. For wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. Our next reading comes from the New Testament in Mark chapter 15, verses 25 to 37. Um, hundred years, uh, sorry, hundreds of years after Job, we see God's son, the man, Jesus Christ, suffering terribly on the cross. We hear the mocking of the crowd, but we also hear Jesus' anguish cry to God. So Mark 15, verse 25. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, So, 
You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with white vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Thank you, Suze. Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Uh, and if you're family or friends of Shan Shan Louise or uh, Bella, then I want to say a special welcome. Now, I imagine there probably aren't that many family and friends here this service because uh, they're coming for next service and the baptism. Uh, but these three ladies are followers of Jesus, and they're going to publicly profess that uh, at midday today. Uh, they're sisters of Jesus. They've given themselves to follow him uh, as their saviour and their king. They're daughters of God, dearly loved by God, and they now live their lives under the blessing of God their Father. Uh, he cherishes them deeply uh, as his own children. So what does that mean for these three ladies in regard to suffering? When tough times come on their lives, how are they meant to make sense of that? You know, if they're living lives under God's blessing and protection, what do they do when suffering comes? Because it inevitably comes on all of us, doesn't it? Uh, how do they process it? Uh, how is this God's good plan for my life? Now, these are questions that all of us have to deal with. These are questions I've had to deal with myself. I'll tell you a good moment uh, first. Yesterday, I was down in Sydney, uh, and my second grandchild uh, was born uh, yesterday, late yesterday afternoon. Uh, thank you. It was a difficult labour, but I, I got there. Um, and... Um, so I was there in hospital cradling this beautiful baby boy, 3.7 kilos. So what's that in pounds? Who can tell me? About nine pounds or something like that? Okay, a bit of controversy over how many pounds. Okay. Uh, anyway, cradling this beautiful baby, my uh, daughter and my, my son and daughter-in-law, Micah and Ash, have just completed their first year of theological college at Moore Theological College. Uh, and so they've kind of committed to following Jesus, to proclaiming his gospel. It was just a beautiful moment, uh, cradling my grandson. Uh, but 27 years earlier, we were in the same place. You see, all my children were born in RPA Hospital, that same location. Uh, and the firstborn of our family were twins. Uh, but Ruth went into labour at 26 weeks 
which is less than a third of the way through a normal pregnancy. Uh, and so our little son, Daniel, was born 1.2 kilos, so a third of the size of my uh, new grandson. Uh, and uh, he was very sick for the first three months of his life. Uh, and my little daughter, Rebecca, was born at 790 grams, just a tiny, precious little girl. Uh, and I, rem- I remember holding her beautiful little body that we'd, we'd prayed for. Uh, you know, we knew that she was doing it tough in the womb, but God was shaping her in the womb, and we had that relationship from a distance. And then she was born, and she was precious. And there were so many hopes and dreams around, you know, this little girl coming into our lives. Uh, But within eight hours of her being born, uh, we stood there cradling her in our arms, uh, and she breathed her last. And just a moment of real tragedy and sadness. Uh, And trying to kind of take all those dreams and, all, and, and the hope we had for our son, and yet our daughter had been taken away. Uh, and so there was joy and sadness and grief all mixed in together. And while we were at the hospital, a friend of mine, a, a school friend of mine, came to visit, uh, and he asked me this question. He said, Dave, you're the most religious person I know. How could God do that to you? Now, it wasn't a heartless question at all. This was a guy who I'd kind of grown up with. He'd watched me from a distance. He wasn't a Christian, but he knew my life was different. He knew I was a Christian, and he was trying to process all these things. And so he asked, like, looking at me, seeing that I'd set my course on following Jesus, how can God do that to you, Dave? Um, And I want to say, I reckon it's a reasonable question. Like, it's not necessarily the most sensitive question in that moment. Let's let's face that. But the question of where does suffering fit into life is just one of the most important questions we'll ever have to answer. Because in suffering, we are being robbed of the life that we wanted, the life that we've hoped for. Uh, the life that we've dreamed of. If Christianity is true, just as any way of viewing the world, right? but if Christianity is true, it must make sense, not just of the high points of joy and laughter and new birth, but it has to make sense of suffering and pain and death. And I want to say that I am convinced, I am utterly convinced that the Bible does make sense that God speaks a good word into our lives. At that time, Ruth and I experienced uh, the love, the comfort, the the joy uh, of God's word speaking into our lives uh, in the midst of our pain. And I want to say we have been comforted again and again in the face of suffering. Even as I received my Parkinson's diagnosis, Uh, It's one of those things where you just go, my world is changing, and yet God and his word and his comfort are just a deep source of refuge and strength and hope uh, in the midst of it. Uh, God doesn't answer all our questions, and we need to be clear about that. God doesn't answer every question we have, but he does bring genuine hope and comfort and love in the midst of it.
Now, as we've heard, today we return to the ancient story, a story even before the time of Jesus, uh, the story of Job. Now, if I was casting a movie, who would I put as Job? Here it is, thanks to AI imaging. Uh, There he is. Who better than Hugh Jackman? Uh, Just such a nice guy. And there he is as Job in the first chapters the first chapter of the book. A good man, a godly man, fears God, uh, turns away from evil, surrounded by this family of joy. He's, He's just a devout man. And yet, as we've seen, he experienced horrendous suffering. And the difficulty with Hugh, Grant, uh, Hugh Jackman is trying to make him look ugly is really difficult. But uh, anyway, so he, 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 horrendous suffering. His children are killed in one after another tragic disaster, whether man inflicted or natural disaster. And then his own body is riddled with pain and sores and, and great suffering. And so he sits on uh, the ash heap and he grieves. Uh, and in chapter 19, Job himself speaks. So he's spoken a lot through this book, but we're going to just focus in on chapter 19 as a window into Job's experience and response. And firstly, we hear the anguish of Job towards his friends. Job replied to his friends. So there's been a to and fro conversation between Job and three of his friends. And he says, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I've gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. See, Job's friends, if you read the book of Job, they started off well. They said nothing for a time. And they, that was the best they did. Right? And if only they had have kept their mouths shut. But when they opened their mouths to speak, they're trying to process and help Job process what's going on. How come this suffering has come on you, Job? And, and what is revealed in the chapters of Job is that the friends have a simplistic formula when it comes to suffering. I've tried to capture it here. Uh, the simplistic formula, God is just. Absolutely true. No doubt about that. God is just and in life you get what you deserve. Uh, a little phrase that keeps on coming up throughout the Bible is you reap what you sow. You get what you deserve. So that means if you do good, you receive blessing and success. If you do bad, you receive curse and suffering. Um, It's a formula that is kind of uh, common to basically every religion on the planet. Uh, If you're a Hindu or a Buddhist, you might know it as karma. Um, But the idea, and and in, in, in Hinduism and Buddhism, it's kind of some cosmic justice that will come about one day or other, whether in this life or another life. Uh, But the idea is there in the Bible as well. So let me show you a couple of passages. Deuteronomy 28. If you fully... This is the, the God of Israel to his precious people, the people of Israel. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands... 
all these blessings will come upon you. And if you read that chapter, there's just so many blessings that will come as a result of obedience. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow his commands, all these curses will come upon you. Right? And so it's that formula, isn't it? Or if you read the Proverbs, the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Uh, whoever sows injustice reaps calamity. Again and again, you hear this expectation. And so one of Job's friends puts it like this. As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Right? So you sow trouble, you reap it. So the friends have taken on board these truths from God's word and they look at Job and they go, where do you fit into this, Job? Well, you are going through horrendous suffering and we acknowledge that. What you are going through is awful. So if it's true that God's just, if, if he does people, give people what they deserve, can you see the logic, Job? Uh, you've just got to humble yourself, get the logic and recognise, Job, you've done something. Maybe it's a secret sin that you haven't told us about. Maybe it's an, a, a, a sin that's even been hidden from you. Maybe it's something your children did, but one way or the other, you deserve this suffering that has come upon you. And so that's how they're kind of applying the formula. Um, but for Job, these comments by the friends are just devastating. Have a look at that, those verses again. How long will you torment me and crush me? You've reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. Uh, it's just like, instead of bringing comfort as friends, they're just wounding him and compounding his grief. And, and relentlessly, relentlessly, because they want Job to come to the realisation of what he's done and bring it before God. And he's just saying, I haven't done anything to deserve, anything to bring this suffering on myself. So come back to the formula. Where did the friends go wrong? Right? Where did the friends go wrong? Now, you could say at many points, and Pete helped us with this last week, you could say um, they didn't listen to Job. Uh, they didn't kind of seek to empathise with him. They were judgmental, arrogant, they made a lot of assumptions, they were cruel, unloving, but where did their logic fall down? Have a quick word to the person next to you. What, what's, what's wrong with that? Where does it, where does it break down? Okay, so where does it break down? <clears throat> Who can tell me? Do you just want me to press on and tell you? I'll have a go. Uh, you might have other thoughts. Please come and talk to me. But a key thing is they fail to understand the matter of timing. See that clock that Pete had up last week? Uh, and he mentioned this as well. Even that little phrase, you reap what you sow, there's an implication of timing there, isn't there? Because you sow something in the ground... Right? I sow something in the ground. I sowed carnations in the ground about three years ago. And they flowered this year. Uh, but there was a gap. I expected them to come, you know, 
within months, but it was, it was actually, is this true, David? Is there, I don't know why this happened, but anyway. Um, but do you see what I'm saying? There's, you sow, and then there's a gap, and then you reap. Uh, and so you've got to be careful not to rush in during that gap and make assumptions. You know, you could come along to the farmer and say, well, it's useless, it's just a pile of dirt. And he could say, but I have sowed. And you could say, well, where's the evidence? Because it takes time. Um, and where am I up to here? So there is a gap where good people, uh, good people suffer and don't receive what they deserve, where bad people succeed, and it's a painful gap, isn't it? This is the world we live in. How painful is it when you see evil people get away with evil? And you just think, that's wrong. There's, there's, there's a real gap in justice. It is a pain, painful and perplexing gap where suffering rises up, where the good, people, the good things good people do don't get rewarded. And where the bad things bad people do don't get punished and dealt with. Um, and so that is, I just want to say, this is the gap that Job finds himself in. The gap between sowing and reaping. Uh, and that is a painful gap. Let me show you how these truths are expressed in the New Testament. Because I think there's a nuance in the New Testament that's really helpful. I think it's there in the Old Testament. It's there in the book of Job. But have a look at this. And then you can follow down Galatians 6. And Romans 2, but 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. At the final judgment, at the end of history, that's when the gap will be closed. Yeah? That is when each of us will receive from God what we deserve. But that means, right now, before that day, good people will suffer and bad people will succeed. And there will be an anguish of life in the gap. And some of you are feeling that anguish right now. Uh, some of you, you know, I talk to you as you come in and you come in with tears. Good on you for keeping on coming because God's word ministers to us in the midst of our tears. But some of you are feeling that anguish of living in the gap right now. You're longing for justice. You're longing for healing. You're longing for comfort. And you're living in perplexity, uh, waiting, waiting for true justice to be done. And so we just want to recognise that Job, Job feels that anguish acutely. Uh, and this is a book where he expresses that so openly, so eloquently. Um, but what's happened with the friends is the anguish they bring Job actually spills over to Job's anguish towards God. And that's where we want to go now. So the anguish towards the friends and their kind of constant prodding and accusation spills over to Job and his anguish towards God. Verse 5, if indeed you will exalt yourselves above me, so he's speaking to his friends, and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me. God has wronged me. And God has drawn his net 
around me. I'm living life under God's curse. Now, we know Job is a godly man. We've known that all along. He fears God. He shuns evil. God boasts about Job. We know that his sufferings are undeserved and terrible. But in his anguish, in his pain and his confusion, he oversteps the line and he accuses God of wrongdoing. Now, how has God wronged Job? Let's come over to verse 7. Though I cry violence, I get no response. No word from heaven, no action from heaven. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way. Who's he talking about? God. God has blocked my way so that I cannot pass. God has, God has stripped, shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my honour. He's removed the crown from my head. God tears me down on every side till I am gone. God uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. God counts me among his enemies. Wow. God's troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. Can you hear Job's deep anguish? And maybe that's an anguish that you feel. Maybe that's the place you're in right now. Maybe you feel that sense of, where is God in my pain? Where is God in this situation? I know in theory that he knows and loves, but what about me in my circumstances? Over the years, I've thought lots about this. Uh, I've, you know, as a pastor, uh, I, I not only wrestle with it intellectually, uh, which does my head in, but also personally, as I've travelled with people in their suffering, uh, in, through death and grief, chronic illness, injustice. Uh, we've journeyed with individuals, with families. And all of those things have impacted our own household, uh, our own family. A few years ago, uh, there was a major survey done across Australia by McCrindle Research, and they asked people, they found a bunch of people who were actually open to Christianity, open to considering the claims of Jesus, but they found that there were seven big issues that really were a blockage. And look at number three there, suffering. The problem of suffering was one of the seven big ones. Why does God allow suffering? If there is a good just, loving God, why is there still suffering in our world? Uh, it's a question that is not just felt by believers. A few years ago, Stephen Fry, uh, you know, the kind of guy, a comedian from England, uh, he was asked about God and he was asked, what will you say to God when you stand before him at the pearly gates, right, when you stand before him after death? And Stephen Fry said he would say to God, how dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. 
It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect such a a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? Wow. Uh, He goes way beyond Job, doesn't he? Uh, in, in, In his fierce, angry accusations towards God. And his words were very popular. Millions and millions you know, watched what he said, and some delighted in the sentiment. But I want you to notice, it is strange, isn't it, for someone who doesn't even believe in God to get so angry with God. There's something strange going on there, isn't there? Uh, and they've actually done psychological studies on this to find that the people who are most angry with God are people who say they don't believe in God. Um, anyway, uh, um, And notice... Stephen Fry doesn't address the problem. And if you reject God, what answer is there? What answer is there to the problem of suffering if you push God out of the picture? You might, if God's there, you know, you want answers. But if he's not there, there are no answers. Well, let me tell you the answer. This is uh, Richard Dawkins. He, He knows about suffering. The world's most famous atheist. He says... The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. We live in a world full of suffering. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. What he's saying is that what we should be doing as we watch the news every night is just be indifferent to it. Now, I'm sure he's not, but can you hear what he's saying? There's no evil, there's no good, no purpose, no justice. We live in a world where there's no God, and all you have is pitiless indifference. And he's an advocate for atheism. It's not going to bring the crowds, is it? That sort of indifference to suffering in life. Uh, so we live in a society where we're, we're full of people who are quick to reject God and grab onto some of the teaching of a Richard Dawkins, and yet, do people really get where his teaching leads? And that is a life stripped of purpose, stripped of hope, no evil, no good, just blind, pitiless indifference. I want to just show you that Job's anguish is different. Um, Throughout this book, Job wrestles with God. He takes his pain and doesn't just internalise it, he brings it to God. And that is a beautiful act of faith, right? Even though we know he oversteps the line at points, that's what children do, isn't it? With their parents. You know, in our pain, we cry out to our parents and sometimes we make accusations to them, but we want them to talk to us in the midst of their pain. We don't want them to go through it alone. And so Job wrestles with God, he talks to God, he prays to God. And when he accuses God, he doesn't do it as an unbeliever. He does it as someone who devoutly believes in God. There is where the perplexity is for Job. And and it makes his anguish all the more painful. God, why? And those sort of questions, the Bible is full of those sort of questions. 
The Bible isn't simplistic in its view of suffering. You read the Psalms, how long? How long before you bring justice? Why? How but but in, in Job's anguish, he does overstep the line. He does accuse God of cruelty and injustice towards him. And he kind of he kind of doesn't understand it because he knows God is good, and yet he knows that he is suffering terribly. Can't make sense of it. And yet he remains a man of faith. So the third point is hope and faith remain. So I want to pick up on verse 23, just as a window into the sort of where Job goes. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed on iron tool of lead, on lead, or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. See, Job is living in the gap. He's experienced unjust suffering and he's angry. He's angry with his friends and rightly so. He's angry with God And yet, the very God he's angry with, he knows he is just. He knows he is good. And so he's utterly perplexed and bewildered. And so even though he doesn't know how, he is convinced that one day he will stand before God. He will have his day to be vindicated. That is, to be shown to be in the right with God. And he longs for a day of fair hearing. Doesn't know how it's going to come about, but he's convinced because he knows the goodness and the justice of God, somehow or other, I will have my day before God. Now, you come forward hundreds of years after Job to the time of Jesus, and there are so many similarities between Job and Jesus. Like Job, Jesus was a faithful servant of God who suffered terrible injustice perplexing, that the whole of God's people would turn against him with such hatred and bigotry. Like Job, Jesus endured immense physical pain as he endured the scourging, the horrors of crucifixion, the nails in his hands, gasping for breath. But like Job, Jesus felt the anguish of abandonment, being abandoned by the people he loved by his own people, being abandoned as the crowds turned on him and mocked him, but worst of all, being abandoned by God, the God that he had lived with from eternity past in intimate relationship was silent as they hurled their insults at Jesus. And it was like this cosmic injustice. Where is God in the midst of Jesus' pain? And Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you hear the anguish of the Lord Jesus? In his suffering, he was so like Job. But unlike Job, Jesus never overstepped the line. Uh, Yes, 
He felt the pain. Yes, he experienced that deafening silence from heaven as God failed to step in at that critical moment. He felt perplexed, abandoned, yet he obediently entrusted himself into his father's care, unlike Job. And what an amazing thing God brought about in the sufferings of Jesus. Through Jesus' suffering, as unjust as they were, comes our forgiving, our forgiveness. Your forgiveness, your relationship with God hinges on the terrible unjust suffering of the Lord Jesus. That is why there was a gap between Jesus' suffering and his vindication, his, his raising of the dead three days later by God. The gap was so that our sin could be forgiven, taken on Jesus. He dealt with the punishment that we deserved. And yet there was that terrible gap, wasn't there, between his life, his suffering, and the vindication, uh, the resurrection. So come back to the question. Dave, you're the most religious person I know. How could God do that to you? And I've got to say, I will probably never know all the details. I will certainly not ever know in this life all the details of why I suffer in life. But our hope and faith, we have, such a, we have a greater foundation for hope and faith than Job did. Right? Job was kind of scratching in the darkness, but Jesus brings a light in the midst of that darkness. So when, um, you may not know this, but Women's Weekly published an article about our, about our journey of grief and loss and joy with our son Daniel uh, and our daughter Rebecca. They published a story about the birth of the twins uh, and they captured a quote. Uh, it's probably too small for you to read, but the quote said... Um, it was from Ruth and I. We didn't have a crisis of faith when Rebecca died. We knew terrible things happen in life. God comforted us. Uh, and it's not, it's not a big testimony, is it? And I'm sure we said lots more, but it was lovely that the editors felt like they couldn't tell our story without some reference to the hope, the strength, the comfort we found in God. And... God's, I just want to testify to all of us here, God's word, his Holy Spirit, his son Jesus, the promises we have in him, they all bring such amazing comfort and joy and hope, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of terrible suffering. And I want to say also, my experience of God's people is better than what Job experienced. Right? Job really got some dud friends, didn't he? Uh, and I just want to testify, this church family that I've been amongst for the last 22 years, there's, there's such wisdom, comfort, there's, that they, they walk with me in the journey, that we walk with one another in it. You know, We're not always perfect in that. Sometimes we're a bit like Job's friends, a few of us, right? Get out of here. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's learn to be more empathetic. Um, but my experience has been overwhelmingly 
positive, that God is doing a work in our hearts so that we're not the judgmental, arrogant, quick to assume, slow to listen type people like Job's friends were. And that makes a huge difference as well. So these three sisters who are baptised today, and not just for them, for all of us who follow Jesus, God is not promising you a life without suffering, I'm sorry to say. Um, And there will be times of testing. Even Bella this morning, if you were listening, she spoke of her chronic fatigue. You know, such a, a beautiful young lady dealing with kind of an adult sickness, chronic fatigue. Shan Shan last week spoke of her frustrations and difficulties, the angst of parenting uh, and, you know, with cross-culture and all that sort of stuff. There'll be times of testing, times of anguish, times when people let you down. Maybe even there'll be times when you feel like God has let me down. But we have God's promise that he is working in all circumstances for our good. It's hard to see it sometimes, but we have his promise and we know he's trustworthy. Uh, We have his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will strengthen us to endure and ultimately God will bring us safely like the good shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death into his eternal kingdom. And they are great sources of hope and strength and comfort and love in the midst of of the suffering of this world. And just finally, I just want to say, if you're sitting here and this is all new to you and you're trying to process what it means to follow Jesus, I just want to say, keep coming. Good on you for being here today. Keep coming. Uh, God's word has real answers, but they are not simplistic answers. Uh, But you don't want simplistic answers, do you? Suffering is a complex full of grief thing. You don't want someone to just come up with a simple formula. Uh, You want real comfort, real hope, and that's what God brings, especially through the Lord Jesus. And uh, we'd love that hope to fill your life with joy and strength and comfort while you wait for the day that Jesus comes again. So keep coming. Let me pray. God, our Father, you know each one of us intimately. You knit us together in our mother's womb. Even from that time, you knew us. You have known us and loved us. You know us more than we know ourselves, and we pray that you will have compassion on us in our weakness. Forgive our sin, heal our pain, Strengthen us to endure. Help us trust in you and your son Jesus so that we might find light in the darkness, so that we might find strength, comfort, hope and love, even joy in the midst of suffering. Please help us bring genuine comfort and hope to one another while we wait for that day in the future when you put all things right. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.